Father, 2020 certainly has been a strange year. This coronavirus, these hurricanes, just these riots in the cities, just there's just so much going on, Lord, that makes us wonder, what in the world are you doing? Lord, and I know uh, if we're honest with ourselves, we have to be asking that question. What's going on in our world, Lord? What are you trying to say to us? Well, Lord, maybe through this text that we're going to look at in Exodus, we'll get some idea today of just what you are trying to say to all of us, Lord. And, and maybe, Lord, uh, we can use these words and these uh, passages to, to prepare us, Lord, for the things that are going to come. Things aren't going to get better, Lord. We know they're going to get worse. You've told us that in your word. So, Lord, I just ask today that you uh, maybe show us, show us what you're doing in our lives right now and why all of these things are happening. So, Lord, uh, maybe we can see that through this text in Exodus. And I just ask for you to bless our study, Lord, and, and uh, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, uh, surely the things that are going on uh, will maybe open their hearts to, to come to you and seek you. And, and, Lord, when they seek you, they'll find you, and they'll know that you're real, and they'll know that you're good and they'll know that you're great and you're merciful and you're wonderful to know we just thank you for the the who you are in jesus christ we thank you in his precious name i pray amen so i ask you to turn in your bibles first of all to uh first john chapter two and in this verse that we're going to look at you get as far as i'm concerned one of the most alarming statements in the entire bible a statement that should cause us all to ponder our own personal situation and see exactly where we are in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and that verse that I want to look at in chapter 2 is verse number 15. You've heard it before. I've probably preached it several times so, or used it in my sermon several times. So, and I'm sure several other pastors have. So you've heard this verse over and over again. But let's, let's just go over it one more time. Uh, verse number 13, and listen to what John says here. He says, do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In other words, if you love this world, the Father is not in you, and if the Father is not in you, the Son is not in you, and you are not saved. Now, you got to wonder, what does he mean by the world here? Because that's a very, like I say, a very alarming statement. So what does he mean when, he talk, when John's talking about the world? He's talking about the immoral world system that we live in. He's talking about the unbridled lust of this world. He's talking about... Uh, the world system which lift its, lifts itself above God, that puts itself above God. That's the world that he's speaking of here. And if you love that world, the love of the Father is not in you. But here's the problem. I mean, and I'm sure you've had the same problem with this I've had. I sort of do like some of the things of the world. I mean, I was born in this world. I was raised in this world. 
uh, I, I live in this world. How can, I, how can I not love this world? I mean, how do I wean myself off of this world? If God doesn't want me to love this world, is that something I just, just in my own self-effort and, and, and uh, discipline, is that, is that how I do it? Well, well I, that's part of it. But actually, the weaning process where God takes us off this world and makes us actually hate this world. If you don't love the world, then you hate the world. And, and he makes us hate this world and long for another world. That process is a process of grace. It's God who makes you hate this world. And that's what we're going to see today as we go back to the book of Exodus. We're going to see how God is weaning the children of Israel off of Egypt. And Egypt is a type of the world. We'll talk about the typology that's in, in the book of Exodus and in the entire Exodus process later on. But, but, but just suffice to say for now, Egypt is a type of the world. And what God is doing, and you're going to see this in this text, he is weaning them off of Egypt. Just like he's weaning us off of this world. And so we're going to learn some things about that as we, we come back to our text today. So go back with me to the book of Exodus, and that's where we'll pick up in chapter number 5. Exodus chapter number 5. And you remember when we left off last time, Moses had been commissioned by God to go to Pharaoh and get him to let the people of Israel go. Now, first of all, he had to get the, the, the elders to agree to it, but then he was going to go to Pharaoh, tell them to let my people go, and then he was going to deliver them into the promised land. Sounds simple enough. Actually, it doesn't sound very simple at all. It sounds very difficult, and it was much more difficult than Moses could have possibly imagined. The process was going to be much more difficult. So, so Moses leaves Midian, and he goes back to Egypt, where he had lived the first 40 years of his life. And he goes back to Egypt, and he goes to the elders of Israel. They're in slavery, in bondage to, to Egypt, but they still have their elders in place. And he goes to those elders, and he shows them three signs. You remember those signs. The first sign, he took his staff, and he throws it down, and it became a snake. Then he took his hand, and he put it to his heart, and it became leprous. And then he took it away from his heart, and it became, uh, it became a normal flesh again. And then the last sign, he took water from the Nile and he poured it on the ground and it became like blood. And so uh, uh, he, he shows them those three signs and, hey, they're convinced. They're convinced that Moses is a deliverer sent to them by God to take them out of bondage lead them out of bondage, and take them into the promised land. And so now as we come to chapter 5, Moses is going to get his chance to deliver them. He's actually going to begin the delivery process. He's going to face Pharaoh for the very first time, and that's where we pick up as we come to chapter number 5 of Exodus. So go with me to Exodus, <coughs> excuse me, chapter number 5, and let's pick up in verse number 1. It says there, Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Actually, literally, that's Jehovah Elohim Israel. He gives him his name. This is the name of the God 
I represent. That's what Moses is saying right here. And, and Pharaoh doesn't really care at this point, but Moses gives him his name. He's the Lord God of Israel. Jehovah Elohim Israel. And he says very uh, blatantly here, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. So you got, first of all, you got to ask the question, how did Moses even get an audience with Pharaoh? Well, if you remember, Moses had been raised by Pharaoh's daughter, and I'm sure this Pharaoh knew the previous Pharaoh, and so Moses was well-known in Egypt, maybe not as well-known at this time as he was earlier, but, but this Pharaoh knew about Moses. He might even have been uh, his, some stepkin to Moses, and so he, if nothing else, if nothing else but for curiosity, he gives Moses an audience. And Moses, Moses comes in, and he doesn't, he doesn't mince words. He immediately says, let my people go. Jehovah uh, uh, Elohim Israel says, let my people go. And listen to Pharaoh's response. Pharaoh said, who is Jehovah? We have hundreds of gods in Egypt. I've never heard of this God, Jehovah. Isn't that sad? I mean... Uh, it's really sad that, that, that just a few thousand years from the creation and, and uh, he doesn't even know who the Lord is. He doesn't even know his name. That I should obey his voice to let Israel go. I do not know Jehovah, nor will I let Israel go. I don't know him, and I'm not going to let Israel out of bondage. You know, that's sort of the response we get today when you name the name of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ that I should obey him and worship him? You remember the play back in the 70s, Jesus Christ Superstar. You remember what they said there? They said, uh, they sang that saying, Jesus Christ Superstar, are you who that they say you are? And he is who they are say he is. He is God Almighty, else you die. But, but Pharaoh didn't know who Jesus was at this point. But if he had at least opened his heart and said, okay, tell me about Jehovah. I want to know this Jehovah if he's all-powerful. If he's more powerful than all the other gods, then, then tell me about this Jehovah. I want to know about him. But he, he, just, he refuses to hear anything about him. And that's the way most of the people of this world are. They don't want to hear anything about the Lord. Here's what they miss out on, though. You won't know who Jehovah is unless you open your heart to Jehovah. When you open your heart to Jehovah in a real way and you allow Jesus Christ into your heart, you know he's God. You know who he is. You know his word is true. And, and so, so uh, here's Pharaoh, and he's, he's having nothing to do with this. And so, so they said to so they said, the God of the Hebrews is who Jehovah uh, Elohim Israel is, and he has met with us, and, he's, uh, and so please let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us. He's going to fall upon all of us. He's going to judge all of us. He's going to judge the Hebrews, and he's going to judge uh, mainly the Egyptians. Now, actually, on those first few plagues, the Hebrews actually suffered from those plagues too. And so that's why he says us here. And then the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, said to, 
them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Uh, these people are critical to our economy. If, if, uh, we take, if they quit working, our economy shuts down. And so uh, he says to the elders, get back to work. Uh, and Pharaoh said to Moses, look, our people uh, of the land are many now, and you make them uh, rest from their labors. And so uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh. Uh, Pharaoh says, I'm not going to uh, let my people go. And uh, he hardens his heart against the Lord. Now he's going to harden his heart against the Lord. He's going to harden his heart against the Lord. And eventually the Lord's going to harden his heart. So it's going to be firm against this idea of letting the people of Israel go. And so uh, uh, Moses and Aaron uh, have gone to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has said, I'm not going to let my people go. And then he's mad at the people for even asked to be uh, uh, allowed to take a break and go out into the wilderness and worship their God. And so he tells the taskmasters, what I want you to do, I want you to take away their straw. When they make the brick, no longer give them their straw. And uh, they'll have to go out and find their own straw. So they had to rise up early in the morning, and they had to go look for their own straw. And uh, so they just added hours to their day, but they still couldn't make their quota. And so Pharaoh took the t told the taskmasters to beat the elders. So they beat the elders. Now, he knew exactly what he was doing in having these elders beaten. He was turning these people against Moses and against Aaron and mainly against their God. He was going to show them that he was God and that their God wasn't God. And then uh, they came in verse number 15. We'll jump all the way to verse number 15. Then the, the officers or the elders of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh saying, why are you doing this uh, to your servants? I mean, why are you beating us? Why are you giving us this, this extra work to do? We can't do it. There's no way we're going to meet the quota. And then Pharaoh responds down in verse number 17. He says, you are idle, idle. You're lazy. I mean, you've got time to go. You say you have time to go out and worship your Lord, and yet you tell me you don't have go, time to go out and find your own uh, uh, straw. And so he says, uh, he, you say, let us go. Therefore, you say, let us go up and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore, go now and work for, 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 and work. For no straw shall be given to you, yet you shall deliver the same quota of bricks you've always delivered. And so the elders go, and they tell Moses what's happened. And they tell Moses, hey, look, we have become an abomination because of you, because of what you've tried to do and you failed, we have become an abomination in the eyes of Pharaoh. And so, uh, hey, I mean, we don't want anything to do with this anymore. I mean, you, you, Pharaoh's going to kill us if you keep this up. So we're done with this. And so here's Moses now. Put yourself in Moses' shoes. He's pretty dejected at this point. I mean, he's come all the way up from Midian. There he was, minding his own business, keeping the sheep. His, he was done with this vision, and now God gave him this vision again, and then he goes and he, he lives out this vision, and he fails, and he fails miserably. 
and he's dejected. Now, here's what I like about Moses. Moses was real in his relationship with God. We're told later on in Scripture that, that God talked to Moses as, as a man talks to a friend. They talk with each other. It's friend to friend. And Moses here, is, he, he's angry with the Lord. So we pick up now down in verse number 22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? I didn't want to come in the first place. I mean, why did you send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil. He has done evil to the people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. You haven't done anything, Lord, to deliver your people. Now that's pretty bold talk, you gotta admit. And uh, uh, but here's Moses' problem. He had forgotten what the Lord had told him as he was as he was leaving Midian, remember, he was leaving the Mount Horeb, and the Lord came to him, the Lord told him that, uh, hey, this is going to be tough. You're going to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, and Pharaoh's not going to let my people go. He's not going to let my people go until I kill his firstborn. And so it's going to be a process, and it's going to be a tough process, and Moses had forgotten that, and he's really discouraged at this point. But now listen how the Lord responds here. The Lord says, Moses, this isn't about you. You're not the deliverer of Israel. You're only a tool in my hand. I am the deliverer of Israel. And, and I watch the pronouns in these first uh, eight verses here of chapter 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will, he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. I'm going to make him drive them out. And God spoke to Moses in verse number two and said to him, I am Jehovah. I am who I am. I do what I want to do. I do it the way I want to do it. I do it when I want to do it. I am who I am. I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, else should die. But my name, Jehovah, I was, was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan and the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also uh, heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out of, from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from the bondage and I will redeem you uh, with an outstretched arm with great judgment. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am Jehovah, your God who brings you out from under the bondage of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage, and I am Jehovah the Lord. So in those first few verses there of chapter 6, we hear the pronoun, the Lord speak the pronoun I 17 times. He's in, in the last part of that passage, he says I will seven times. So the point is clear right here. Moses, you're, you and Aaron aren't the deliverer. The elders aren't the deliverer. I am the deliverer and all glory will go to me. All right, now, 
pick up in verse number 9. That really doesn't encourage Moses that much. I mean, it's almost, I think Moses is thinking at this point, good, you take it. I don't want to have anything else to do with this. This is very discouraging. I want to go back home. I've had it. And so Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, not that they did not heed, but they did not heed Moses. So here Moses hears from the Lord, and, and he goes to the children of Israel, and he tells the children of Israel, look, the Lord is going to deliver you out. I can't deliver you out of here. We've seen that. But the Lord is going to deliver you out of here. And what do they say? We've had enough. We're done. We don't want anything to do. We'll, we'll die in bondage. We don't care at this point. And, and you can see why. He, he tells us why. But they did not heed Moses because of the anguish of the spirit, of, of spirit, their discouragement, and the cruel bondage that they were under. They just couldn't think of anything at that point. They were so discouraged, all they wanted to do was get up and go to work as long as they could and eat and drink and then die. That's pretty discouraged. That's where a lot of the people in this world are at this point. Just get me through the rest of my life. And that's the way they were. They didn't they, forget the deliverance. Just leave us alone, Moses. And so the Lord, where did I leave off at? Yeah, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, that's what I thought, but it somehow seemed out of place. Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of this land. And Moses spoke before the Lord saying, the children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. I mean, if the children of Israel won't even listen to me, what makes you think, Lord, that... Pharaoh's going to listen to me. I've proven through this process that I am a man of uncircumcised lips. I don't have any power in my words to move Pharaoh. I don't have any power in my words to move the people of Israel. And so then he says, then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel. Israel out of the land of Egypt. And so here's what he says. Uh, Moses says, Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't like it. I just want to go home. And you know what the Lord says back to him? I don't care if you want to do it anymore. I don't care if you don't like it. I don't care if you want to go home. You and Aaron go do what I told you to do. You go to Pharaoh and you tell him to let my people go. And you go to the Israelites and you tell them you're about to get out of here, get ready. You know, isn't that the way the Lord works sometimes? I mean, you get discouraged and the Lord's told you something he wants you to do. And, and it, it doesn't come as quickly as you want it to come. It doesn't come as easy as you want it to come. And you get discouraged and you just say, Lord, I want to go home. I, I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to live my life out and, and be done with your visions and your calling. They're way too difficult for me. And there's times you'll say that to the Lord and you just want to quit. And the Lord will come back to you and he will encourage you. He'll send you words of encouragement. Keep going. There's a, there's a reward waiting for you if you just keep going. 
uh, you, you'll experience some presence of the Lord and you'll, you'll just you'll experience his love and the Lord will say, just keep going. And, 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 and you're encouraged about that, but you keep whining and you keep whining and you keep whining. Eventually, let me tell you what the Lord's going to say. The Lord's going to say, I don't care what you want to do. I don't care that you want to quit. You keep doing what I told you to do because the callings and elections of God are for sure. Don't tell me God's called you to preach, but I'm not going to preach. Or God's called me to do this particular ministry, I'm not going to do this particular ministry. If God calls you to do something, let me tell you, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. You might do it kicking and screaming, but you're going to do it. If God's determined to call you to do something, I promise you, he's he's going to have that thing done in your life. Now, we finished chapter Six. There's a list of names there. I'm not going to read them and give Brandon the pleasure of me messing them up. Uh, actually, it's a genealogy we're going to skip over because in that genealogy, the only two names there that are important to me are Jochebed and Amron, the parents of Moses, and we've already talked about them being the parents of Moses, so we don't have to get that part. So we're going to skip over that and jump all the way down to uh, chapter number uh, seven. And... Um, Let's see, have we come to chapter number seven, and as we come to seven, here's what's about to happen. Moses is ready to confront, he's not ready, but he knows he has no choice. So he's about to go and confront Pharaoh again. But this time, he's going to do it, not in his own power, he's going to do it in the power of the Lord, giving the Lord all glory. He's just going to go in there and say, okay, Lord, this is what you want me to do. I'm going to do it. I'm going to obey you. I know better than not to obey you. And, and, and he's really broken at this point, and that's a good place for him to be. Whenever you're at the end of your rope, you're at a good place with the Lord. Uh, whenever you've humbled yourself before the Lord, you're at a good place with the Lord because what does James say? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Well, let me tell you how humble Moses is. Over in Numbers chapter 12, we're told that Moses was the most humble man on earth. The most humble man on earth. Now, if you're most, the most humble man on the earth and the Lord lifts you up, if you're humble, then you've got to expect Moses to be lifted way up. And that's what's going to happen now. The Lord's about to really lift him up as we come to chapter number 7. Listen to what it says. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh doesn't know it yet, but you're going to be like a god to Pharaoh. Now, if you'd ask any person in the world at that time who was the most important man on earth, they would have said Pharaoh. Pharaoh considered himself as a god. But God, the Lord is saying to Moses, you're so important that you're going to be like a god to Pharaoh. You're going to be infinitely greater than Pharaoh. You're going to have infinitely more power than Pharaoh has. You're going to bring him to his knees. Now, you're going to use me to do that. And again, it's going to be my deliverance, but because you've humbled yourself, you're going to be like a god to Pharaoh, and I'm going to even give you your own prophet. Listen to what he says there in the last part of this. And Aaron, your brother, uh, shall be your prophet. And then in verse number two, he says, you shall speak all that I command you, And Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of the land. Hey, wait a minute, Lord, we've done this before, uh, and it didn't work. You just just 
You just keep letting me work. And let me tell you how, I'm gonna, how, how this is going to start. It's already started pretty bad. It's only going to get worse. Because look at verse number 3. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. In other words, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be very difficult. But I'm going to multiply my signs and I'm going to multiply my wonders. And then in verse number 4, he says, but Pharaoh will not heed you. That's really encouraging, Moses says. He will not heed you so that I may, I've got a reason for this. The reason he's not going to heed you because I'm doing a work here. And here it is, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, really is a better word there, bring my host, who are my people, of, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by what? By great judgment. So see, one of the purposes God has here in these plagues is not just to deliver Israel, but to judge the wickedness and idolatry of Egypt. And so, so he's, he's got a plan. And, and verse number five, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. There's two things I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to, or three things. I'm judging Egypt. I'm trying to get them to a place where they know that I'm Lord. Whether they worship me or not, that's, that's on them. But they're going to know that I'm Lord. And I'm going to deliver my people Israel. And so the Egyptians shall know that I am Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and I bring out the children of Israel among them. They're going to know that I am the true and living God. Because let me tell you what God's about to do. The Lord's about to declare war on the gods of Egypt. Guess who's going to win in that war? The Lord always wins. Uh, and at this particular time, there were a lot of gods the Lord was going to have to fight. Egypt had hundreds of gods. Pharaoh himself considered himself a god. The Lord's going to come against Pharaoh. Uh, there was Ra, the sun god, the giver of life. Pharaoh, uh, the Lord's going to come against him, and he's going to bring darkness, and he's going to bring death against that God. There was the God of fertility, the, this frog-headed God is named Hecate. And, uh, and we see, we'll see next week, God's going to send a plague of frogs against Egypt, and they're going to despise frogs at that point. There was the, there was the uh, God of the Nile, we'll see here in just a minute, uh, who was the God of uh, food and prosperity. And, and the Lord's going to turn the Nile to blood. There's the God of Capera, the fly God, the beetle God. God's going to send this plague of beetles. And in order to enter the temple of any of their gods, you had to be without blemish. And so God's going to send this plague of boils on, on, all, <clears throat> excuse me, on all the Egyptians, and they're not going to be able to, to go into their temples at all. And so there's going to be a battle of the gods and God's going to win that battle, and eventually the children of Israel are going to be let go. Now, there's all sorts of debate among scholars, and I don't, when I say scholar, I put that in quotes because uh, there's a lot of scholars I don't respect. But most liberal scholars and some conservative scholars come to the book of Exodus, and they try to come up with naturalistic explanations 
for how these plagues took place. Uh, and a lot of that is based on some books that have been written about things that happened during that time. One of those books is by uh, Velikovsky, uh, this Russian-American uh, scientist who wrote the book uh, Worlds in Collision. Some of you might have read that book, a very interesting book, by the way. In that book, he uh, uh, postulates that Venus, during that time, around 1500 B.C., uh, left the orbit of Jupiter and headed out into space to where it is now. And it came past the Earth, and when it came past the Earth, it uh, emitted these chemicals that, uh, there's certain chemicals that would turn the water red, and it turned the water to like blood. It took the oxygen out of the water. It killed the fish. And when it killed the fish, uh, uh, then the fish floated to the top, and they became fodder or, or they became uh, dwelling places for flies and beetles and so you had the plagues of the beetles and then you have Venus passing past the earth which is blocking out the sun and so you get the darkness and all of this stuff causes death on the earth and so, so he came up with that naturalistic explanation on how this, these plagues took place also on why uh, during Joshua's reign the earth stood still for a day and he, and he really lays out a, an intelligent argument for this. And it's possible, I say it's possible, that God used natural means to do what he was doing here in the land of Egypt. I don't think so. I think every one of these plagues was supernatural. I think God just spoke, and when he spoke that the Nile would turn red, it turned red. He said, Aaron, lay your staff out on the, on the Nile. Don't look up in the sky and wait for Venus to come by. He didn't say any of those things. He just said, put your staff over the Nile, and it will turn as blood. And it turned as blood. Now, you could see where some of the other things would happen based upon that after that. But I, the, the timing, it was like seven days later, you get another plague. Seven days later, you get another plague. Uh, this takes place over a period of seven weeks. So I believe every one of these plagues was supernatural. But, but if, if it's not worth arguing over if you get with somebody who believes they're natural. Hey, as long as they believe in Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, which usually those people don't. They've got a different Jesus, but, but uh, just bear with them and be patient with them. They'll find out the truth when they get to heaven. All right, now, let's go to verse number 6 in, in chapter number 7. Then, it, then Moses and Aaron did, did so just as the Lord commanded them. So they did. And Moses, what, I, I love this. When you get my age, you love these kind of passages. When Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So these guys were old men. They were old men on a mission impossible. But hey, they were up to the task. There's no doubt they were up to the task. Now, they're going to have their failings, but their failings won't be because of their age. Their failing was because of, uh, they, they, they were fallen human beings, not because they were 80 and 83. All right, now. Then we come to, to verse 8, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when Pharaoh speaks to you saying, show a miracle to yourself, uh, show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. So you know the story, uh, they go before Pharaoh and Moses says, let my people go. Uh, the, uh, Moses says, the Lord says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, who's the Lord? And and we're going to show you who the Lord is. And so 
Aaron took his stick and he threw it on the ground. He took his staff and he threw it on the ground and it became a snake. But you remember what the magicians and the sorcerers did who were led by Janus and Jambres. We're told in 2 Timothy uh, uh, chapter 3 that it was Janus and Jambres that led these magicians that opposed Moses and Aaron. And they're, they're, they threw their sticks down and they became snakes too. But something happened. Something that should have awoken Pharaoh to God's power. And that was that Aaron's staff ate the sticks or ate the snakes. His snake ate the other snakes and then he picked it up and it was a staff again. Now, there's a lesson here because Satan does have supernatural powers. And sometimes he does exercise those supernatural powers in order to deceive people. So you got to be careful when you see a miracle and make sure that that miracle is not of Satan. But here's the difference. God's miracles always trump Satan's miracles. So, so uh, uh, you, you, Pharaoh at this point should have seen that he was fighting a losing battle. But he doesn't see that. He hardens his heart against the Lord uh, and he refuses to let the people go. And so Moses says to Aaron and uh, uh, Moses and Aaron, look, I, uh, the Lord says to him, I know you're disappointed, uh, but we're only getting started here. We're only getting started. Uh, tomorrow, here's what I want you to do. Pharaoh's going to go out to the Nile to worship because they worship that river. He's going to go out to the Nile to worship. In the very river that he's worshiping, I want you to go out there and I want you to meet him. And, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to meet him there. Uh, and then in verse number 16, uh, here's where we pick up again. He says, and you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned not as blood, to blood. That's interesting there. Not just a red color, they'll be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die shall die and the river shall stink and it'll smell like uh, Lafayette during crawfish season on garbage day and if you've ever smelled that you know how bad that is and this is going to be millions times worse than that there's going to be millions of more fish than there are crawfish in Lafayette and so and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river then the Lord spoke to Moses Say to them, say to Aaron, take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, over the lakes, over the pools. Uh, anything that has water in it is going to become as blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and in pitchers of stone. So wherever they turn and look for water, that water is going to be turned to blood. And so Moses goes out, he meets Pharaoh, and that's exactly what happens. Aaron lifts his rod over all the waters, and all the waters turn to blood. Well, the, the uh, magicians do the same thing, and theirs turns red as blood. And, and, uh, uh, but, but they're in trouble. They're, the plagues are starting to hit them now. And remember, these are hitting the Israelites too. 
and they don't have any water to drink and all the fish are dying and it's stinking in the land. It's horrible. They're starting to get impacted. The Egyptians now are starting to, not just Pharaoh, but all the Egyptians are going to be impacted now by these plagues. The Israelites are impacted by this too. So they have to go and they have to dig for water. And the Israelites had to dig for water too. And that's where we're going to uh, quit for today and we'll pick up in chapter number 8 next time and as this battle of the gods continues next week and uh, uh, the Lord's going to send the rest of the plagues against Egypt. Now, I mentioned this a few weeks back, but as I look at these plagues, and I, I don't like pretending to be God or questioning God, but, but, but just let me play devil's advocate here for a minute. I've got to ask the question, I mean, because you go over to the book of 2 Chronicles and there's a couple of cases there where entire armies were destroyed by just a couple of angels. So I've got to ask the question, Lord, why did you do it this way? I mean, you had to have a reason. Why would you draw this out? Why not just Hey, it was time to take the children into the promised land, the children of Israel into the promised land, just kill off Pharaoh and his armies. You know he's going to harden his heart. You know what's going to happen. Just kill off his armies and let them march right on into Israel. Lord, why would you do it that way? And, and, and why go through all of this heartache and pain and struggle? Well, let me suggest to you four reasons why the Lord did it this way. The first reason was he wanted to, we've already seen this, he wanted to judge the Egyptians for their idolatry and judge them for their evil ways. That's one reason. We've talked about that already. The second reason that he wanted to do it this way, and he, of course, can do it any way he wants to. I'm not questioning that. But, but, he wanted to demonstrate his glory. His, just how powerful Jehovah Elohim Israel is, was and is and always will be. He wanted to demonstrate his glory for all times. You remember in the book of Joshua when the Israelites finally do cross over into the promised land and they send two spies into Jericho. And the spies run into a harlot named Rahab. And you remember what Rahab says to, to those two spies. We've heard here in Jericho, all the way up here in Jericho, about what your God did to the Egyptians and how he sent those plagues and he delivered part of the Red Sea and he delivered you guys out of that land. And we've watched y'all over the years and we've seen y'all marching around and we've been worried about what your Lord was going to do because your God, Jehovah, is truly King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, I'm paraphrasing there, but that's basically what she said. So, so at least Rahab was saved and became a worshiper of the Lord by this demonstration of God's power. So God wanted to demonstrate his glory to the rest of the world. But he also, and here's the third reason that I say he did it over this period of time and the way he did it, was to, to, to show his mercy. You know, 
you see the mercy of God as we go through these plagues. You see the mercy of God. God could have just struck all the Egyptians dead and let the Israelites go. But God loved the Egyptians too. God wanted, he loved Pharaoh too. He, we're told in Romans chapter 10 that he suffered long with Pharaoh. And, and so, so he wanted to show his mercy to the Egyptians. And that's why he, over a period of time, each time he sent one of these plagues, he gave them time, he showed his glory, he demonstrated his glory, and he gave them time to repent. He gave Pharaoh time to repent. Pharaoh hardened his heart. The Lord didn't harden his heart at first. Hey, you keep hardening your heart against the Lord, at some point he will, that's a scary thing, he will harden your heart. But he, until that time comes, he is a God of love and a God of mercy, and he wanted to show his mercy to the Egyptians and to the Israelites. Isn't that the way he always works? I mean, the Israelites are going into a land that has been occupied by the Canaanites for 430 years. Why did God allow the Canaanites to occupy the promised land for 430 years? Why did the Israelites have to wait until the cup of the Lord's wrath was full? That's what we're told in the Bible. That's why they were given 400. They were given 430 years to repent. You think that's not mercy? I mean, you go all the way over to the book of Revelation, and in the midst of those great judgments of God, we call that the day of the Lord, where God judges this earth. And I mean, you read Revelation uh, chapter 4 on, or chapter about 7 on, and uh, man, those judgments are terrible judgments. But right in the midst of the judgments, the, the Lord sends an angel through the sky preaching, we're told, the everlasting gospel. And I'm reading here to every nation, every nation, every people, every tribe, every tongue, and people saying in a loud voice, fear God. Here's your chance. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sun, the the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Everything you see was made by God. And he gives them a chance. Right in the midst of the great tribulation, he gives this whole world a chance to worship him, and so he shows his mercy. There's one other reason, and that's the reason we're going to finish up with today, and and this applied specifically to the people of Israel. God was about to deliver them out of Egypt. You remember later on in the wilderness journey, When they get tired of the manna, they get tired of drinking out of rocks. They get tired of wandering in the wilderness. You remember what they said said to the Lord, or they said to Moses, and they were really speaking to the Lord? Oh, if we could go back to Egypt and the leeks and onions. Oh, if we could just have a cheeseburger again. I mean, just just the pleasures we, we, we loved in Egypt. And they had forgotten about their bondage. They had forgotten about the beatings they took. They had forgotten about Pharaoh throwing their children into the Nile River. They had forgotten about all of those things. Think about what they would have done if they hadn't have been delivered the way they were delivered, if they hadn't been in bondage, if they had just been in Egypt living the high life and God said, look, I'm going to take you over the promised land. And then they got in the wilderness, they would have said, hey, they would have all gone back. 
So what God is doing right here in these plagues and in the book of Exodus and in the wilderness journey and even before this when they were in bondage, he is weaning them off of Egypt. And as I said before, Egypt is a type of the world. And so God is trying to get them to the point where they leave Egypt and they never look back. That's what he wants from them. He wants them to never look back. Now, they're going to look back because they're human beings and, and, uh, and boy, how we forget. I'm celebrating today my, 30, my birthday, my 31st year of being a Christian. And I don't know how many times over that period of 31 years when things haven't been going my way, I, there's a part of me that says, oh, for the times when I used to do this and do that. And then the Lord says, hey, have you forgotten about this? Have you forgotten about that? Have you forgotten about those seven days you spent in jail? Have you forgotten about all the millions of dollars of debt you had that I took you out of? Have you forgotten about all the, 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 the things, the harm you did to, to your family, the things, you, the things you have with your new family that you never had before? Have you forgotten all of that? And I say, Lord, no, I hadn't, and I thank you for reminding me. He has ways of reminding me. And, and, and so the Lord wants to wean his people off of this world. And that's what he wants to do for us. You look at our world today with pestilence and wars and rumors of wars. COVID-19. I mean, for some of you, it's really terrible having to wear that. Somebody told me... This morning they were going to kill somebody over these masks, wearing these masks. We've really got it bad, right? Uh, hand sanitizer. I'm tired of hand sanitizer everywhere you go. Hand sanitizer. I, 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 look at our cities. I look at these riots we're having, this looting we're having. Hurricanes. We've got two hurricanes. We talked about this earlier, heading right for Louisiana. We've got a godless government. We've got godless giant corporations that are trying to rule this country. We've, here's what's really said. We've got a lot of godless churches, a lot of godless people in church. We've got garbage in our politics. I mean, it's just a cesspool, our political system today. Garbage on TV. We've got sport figures who are taking a knee to political correctness. And political correctness, I can tell you, nothing is nothing less than godliness. That's what it is. Ungodliness, I'm sorry. That's what it is. It's ungodliness. We've got the socialists and the abortionists and the anarchists taking over our country as we speak. And as they do, our, all our liberties are being stripped away right before our very eyes. Why? Lord, why are you allowing all of these things to happen? Don't you think it's time you just rapture me out of here and let everybody else deal with these problems? I mean, I want all of y'all to go with me, most of y'all. But Lord, why, 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 why would I, when, when I got saved and I came to Jesus Christ, why didn't you just zoom me up 
right then and there. Well, those same reasons apply to what God's doing now in these plagues that we're having on this nation as I speak. God is judging. I'm telling you right now, God is judging this land of its idolatry and its wickedness. That's one thing he's doing. He's certainly demonstrating his patience and mercy. I listen to a lot of old-time preachers like uh, J. Vernon McGee. I was listening to J. Vernon McGee the other day, and he was saying this, this world ain't going to make it much longer. And he was talking about just a few years. There's no way it can make it much longer. And I remember after I got saved and my eyes were open, I looked around at the condition of this world. I said, man, there's no way we can last much longer. Why do we keep lasting? Because God is full of mercy and he's full of love. Thank goodness. And I'm going to tell you something. The third reason is God is going to demonstrate his glory. Things are being set up right now for, for an Ezekiel invasion of Israel. And when that comes, you're going to see the glory of God in a way you've never seen it before. But God's going to demonstrate his glory this week when these hurricanes, you know why I don't worry about these hurricanes? Because of God's mercy, because of his love, because God's got a plan, and because God's going to protect me, and I'm going to, he's going to demonstrate his glory. And, and, and the, he demonstrates this glory in this very room right now because how many of y'all have COVID? Zero. Zero of you. You think maybe that's a coincidence? No. It's God's mercy and his glory. And then the fourth reason, and one of the main reasons that all of this is happening to us right now, is God is weaning us off of Egypt, off of this world. He wants us to hate this world, the world I talked about earlier in the introduction. He wants us to hate this world to long for the world to come, to long for him to come and get us and never look back, to never look back. I don't know about you, but I'm there. I'm pretty much weaned of this world. All I can say at this point is Maranatha, Lord Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, we thank you for your glory. Lord, you're the same God who parted the Red Sea. You're the same God who sent those ten plagues into Egypt. You're the same God who brought Pharaoh to his knee. Lord, and you're going to bring the, this godless world to its knees in, in, in your time. Lord, but you're, you're so full of mercy and so full of love and so patient and so long-suffering that you continue to deal with this world and you will do that Lord we know until, until the tribulation comes and, and we just thank you for that but Lord we are all beginning to be weaned off of this world we, more and more each day we long for you to come and receive your crown in our hearts and in our lives we long for you to come and take us to be with you, Lord, so that we can see you in all of your glory. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.